Did a book ever speak to you? Reach out and grab a hold of you? Capture your attention? What a great question. Considering that we're studying the book of books, the Bible. Uh, Specifically, the armor of God as, as Paul speaks of it. Last time we took a preparatory look at this section of scripture. And we saw that it addresses someone who needs to be ready. Ready for battle. Ready for action. Someone who may even be being attacked now. Besieged. Today we... uh, Look at the first item in the soldier's arsenal, the the belt of truth. At least that's what Paul calls it. Uh, It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, but let's begin at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Why would Paul start here with truth? Why this exact starting point, truth? And why? Would he depict truth as a belt? Looking at the world, uh, how it sees truth. It's evident that the the world looks at truth through two primary lenses. Truth from the worldly perspective is uh, secular and it is subjective. Secular, truth as the world sees it, is the specific domain of science and education. Our world pairs those two together as the two great repositories of truth, the the true great bastions of truth. Both science and education promote truth as naturalistically, as naturalistic. Think about it. It's something based on nature and a a natural course of event. Beyond that, we have only supposition. Truth from this perspective can only be deciphered naturalistically. Outside nature, there is no truth. Let me take that one step further. This being the truth, there can be no truth when it comes to God. In fact, there can be uh, no truth at all when it comes to God. 
God is unknown. He is unknowable. Naturalistically, though, thinking, that is. Besides this, what comes out of religion is narrow and biased. It is mythical at best, and, and at worst, it is, it is pure prejudice. I want to stop and give you a uh, historical footnote at this point. Philosophically, this is exactly where Germany was prior to uh, World War II and uh, uh, Hitler and the Nazi scheme of things as it, as it entered the world scene. Germany had been influenced by a philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. It was a naturalistic philosophy that had its, uh, its underpinnings in Darwinism. Sound familiar? Specifically, German philosophy called upon Darwin's survival of the fittest or uh, natural selection. The strong will conquer and survive. The, the, the weak will be eliminated. Putting the pieces together. It was pure science, uh, scientifically stated, scientifically articulated, and scientifically ingrained in the educational system. The stronger must eliminate the weak for the survival of the species. The German mindset was secular, it was Darwinian, and it was atheistic. Now, mind you, it wasn't non-religious. Hitler used whatever religion he could, in whatever form he could, to advance his ends. Nietzsche wrote, Since there is no God to will what is good, we must will our own good. And since there is no eternal value... We must will the eternal recurrence of the same state of affairs. This is exactly where we are philosophically in America today. Darwin is one of the defining players. Pretty scary it ought to be. This is a basis for our truth. Since there is no God to will what is good, we must will our own good. That's the responsible thing to do if you love your fellow man. And is this not what we have done in our society? Is this not where we have arrived? We, we decide our own good. We, 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 we choose our own values. We purpose our own purposes. And this brings us to the second aspect I mentioned in this discussion, truth is subjective. Truth is important and applicable only as I choose for it to pertain to me, my ideas, my, my wisdom, my philosophies are the deciding factors in America today. Do you see a contradiction here? A, a contradiction between secular truth and, and subjective truth? Well, on the one hand, promoting the absolute reliability of science and education, the, the common view also promotes the truth is personally subjective. It's totally relative. Contradictory, yes. 
Subjective truth is any conglomeration the individual chooses. There is no consistency. There is no cohesiveness. Why would such an approach to truth be so important? Well, from a worldly perspective, it gives me everything I want for happiness. Isn't that our ultimate goal after all? Our own happiness? My personal happiness? British Weekly once published a letter that uh, swept up a whole whirlwind of controversy. The, The letter wasn't very long. It said, Dear Sir, it seems ministers feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them. I've been attending church quite regularly for 30 years, and I've probably heard 3,000 of them. To my consternation, I discover I cannot remember a single sermon. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. There was a whole ensuing responses, pro and con, for weeks. And it came to a crashing halt with this letter. Dear sir, I've been married for 30 years. During that time, I've eaten 32,850 meals, mostly my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I've discovered I cannot remember a menu of a single item single meal, and yet I have this distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, 3.1 and the uh, prophetic commentary it makes for our day and age. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Are you looking for good times, good days? Prophetically, it says there will be terrible times in the last days. And then look what is right off the top. People will be what? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving. Do you know people who refuse to forgive? They can't let go of a grudge. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You see, these people are religious, but denying its power. And Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with them. And then move down to verse 7. Always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. I like the, the King James better. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Descriptive fitting. I don't know how many articles I've read lately that have said we are, we are in a post-truth world. The truth is irrelevant. The only truth around is our own truth. 
the sad part is that while we, we pursue it, we find no certainty in such a truth. We find no security in such a truth. We find nothing to build our lives on. Henry Nouwen says, we are on the move from false certainty to true uncertainty. This is 21st century America, moving from from one thing to another, only to find nothing. There's nothing there. From nothing to nothing. Ever seeking, never finding. Always empty, always unsure, always insecure. Now, the biblical understanding of truth is... uh, vastly different than the world's view of truth. They are two entirely different things. Go back to the opening questions. Why is truth so important? Why would would Paul begin the armor of God right here with truth? Why? Truth is important because it's what Jesus came to bring us. Did you ever think about that? What did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to accomplish in our lives? Well, one of the things Jesus came to do is bring us the truth of God. In fact, Paul says there are two things that he came to do. When Paul boils Jesus' ministry, or not Paul, but John, boils Jesus' ministry down, he boils it down into two things, and only two things. Uh, John 1.14, the word, the logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Two things, full of grace and truth. John boils, he he condenses Jesus' ministry into two things, grace and truth. A couple propositions come out of this text. Proposition number one, truth is not subjective. And proposition number two, truth is not possessed by the world. You ever heard someone say there is no such thing as absolute truth? That statement affirms and denies the same thing in the same breath. There are in fact saying it is absolutely true, there is no absolute truth. It contradicts itself. It denies what it claims. Fact is, truth is something that can be known. And most pertinent to where we are philosophically, truth does not change and is not personally subjective. Whether you and I like it or not, truth is truth. It is absolute It is unchanging, it is irrevocable, and as such, it demands that we submit ourselves to its authority. Sensing a problem here, I'll bet. John uh, 14.6 should be familiar to us. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I like what Jonas Akempis, the 14th 
14th century theologian did with this. He said, Thou art the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. Isn't that a great statement? Pretty well covers everything. Fact is, we can know. In Jesus Christ, we can know. Truth is all about knowing. And beyond this, truth is about change. Not us changing the truth, but truth changing us. Yes, there is a a huge discrepancy between what the world believes and what Scripture teaches. Truth can be known. Proposition number two, truth is not possessed by the world. So alien is truth to the world that the Lord Jesus Christ had to leave heaven above to come down here and bring it to us. To say that from the opposite, what the world believes is a lie. It it tells you what uh, you need to be happy, but guess what? Don't go there. You won't find happiness. You will not find security. You will not find strength. John often uses the metaphor of light and dark as he describes the state of the world. Look at three texts with me from the Gospel of John. The first speaks of the reason for which Jesus came. The the second offers a legal uh, verdict or makes a legal statement. And the third personifies light and darkness uh, in this metaphor of light and darkness. John 1, 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This is why Jesus came. To bring truth, the truth of God, into our lives. John three nineteen. This is the verdict. I said it was a legal statement. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In the Lord's righteous court of law, this is the verdict handed down to us. It's a a legal statement, a, a forensic statement. And then that personification, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The world is in darkness. The darkness of its own lie, the darkness of its own self-deception. The darkness of its own pride. Now, don't derail here. The the world possesses truth in, in some measure or others. But it can't put all the pieces together, not in a cohesive way. Truth is truth, whether it's God's truth or scientific truth. Truth is truth. Either bigotry is right or bigotry is wrong. Truth is truth. It's absolute. It doesn't matter how I feel about it or whether I like it or whether, whether I think it's right or not. It doesn't even require that you and I agree with it. Truth is truth. Bigotry is either right or bigotry is wrong. 
This is true with abortion. It's either right or it's wrong. It isn't a matter of choice. It's either right or it's wrong. This is true with murder. It's either right or it's wrong. It's true with gossip. You can keep going right on down the list, can't you? It's true with immorality in any sense. Truth is truth. Darkness is darkness. Truth is crucial to the warrior of God because it defines the battle at hand. Our battle is a war of truth against falsehood. I imagine you've never thought of that either. What we do is a battle of truth against falsehood. What is right as opposed to to what is wrong. Uh, To put it in biblical jargon, what what is uh, righteous as opposed to what is unrighteous. Or or as John speaks of it, light and darkness. And this is why Paul describes truth as a belt. Our passage, uh, Ephesians 6.14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is what the the warrior of God needs. This is is why it's so crucial for the battle at hand. Our battle is against truth and falsehood. Rightness as opposed to wrongness. Right off the top, Paul speaks of truth. He could have talked about the sword of, could have talked about the breastplate, but he talks about truth, the belt of truth. Why was the belt so important? Well, because it held everything together. Without it, the whole suit of armor falls apart. There is no uh, uh, substance. There is no support. There is nothing to uh, attach things to. Everything is girded by the belt. On the table is a a reproduction of a a Roman belt. As you can see, it's a pretty substantial piece of equipment. You can certainly come up and look at it. The sword's not sharp, but it is pointed, so don't go flailing it around, but... You're welcome to come up and look at it and handle them. The suit of armor falls apart without the belt. There is no substance. There is no support. There is nothing to attach things to. Everything is girded by the belt. So important was the the kingdom military or military belt that it was a visible, and listen to this, an audible marker of the soldier, sign of of the soldier. Roman soldiers wore their belt at all times, whether they were in uniform or, or in civilian garb. What made it audible? Well, those little straps on the, the apron that hangs down has metal pieces on it, and when they walked, those things clanked, kind of like cymbals. So you could hear a centurion coming down the street. You knew when one was around, and you knew you better be careful. It was an honor to be a Roman soldier. The belt, in or out of uniform, was a, a, a marker of that honor. Herodian, uh, a uh, minor Roman historian, recorded that when a soldier was dishonorably discharged, they took away his belt, they, they ripped it off. He no longer had the, the distinction, the honor of wearing the belt. The belt holds everything together in place. Truth for the believer holds everything together. 
It is the basis upon which everything else hangs. Believer, you cannot live faithfully unless you gird yourself in the truth of God. Many believers today are religious and little more. Unless you gird yourself in the truth of God, you're doing nothing but playing religious games. You you might show up at church, do churchy things, but it's going to accomplish nothing unless you gird yourself in God's truth, dabbling with religion and not what God has called you to do. This is why Jesus says what he does to the Jews in John 8, uh, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. This is why so many believers are, are still enslaved to their old ways of life. They're still enslaved. They're not free. Paul begins his description of the armor of God with the belt of truth for one simple reason. Without the truth of God, nothing else matters. Without the truth, the battle's already lost. There is no freedom. There is only enslavement to the lie. Truth then defines the battle because it defines the believer. It defines the believer's relationship both with his Lord and with his world. Soldier, everything we do, everything we are, everything we hope for in life is bound up in that single word, truth. It's what Jesus Christ came to breathe it, came to bring us. Without Without it, we're nothing. With it, we become what God has called us to be. Put on the full armor of God. For the believer, everything begins with truth. Truth must define the believer because it defines the battle. In 1994, Leroy Seavers, producer of the ABC News program Nightline, went to document the genocide in Rwanda, Africa. Looking back on the experience, Seavers says, There is evil in the world. I have seen it up close. But nothing comes close to Rwanda. I don't know if you remember the situation. The uh, Hutu rebels were systematically slaughtering the uh, Tutsi tribe. It wasn't a war, says Seavers, fought with smart bombs. It was machetes and clubs and knives. 
almost a million people killed by hand. The, the genocide was so widespread that the UN sent a, a peacekeeping force to Rwanda. The commander, a, a Canadian general by the name of Romeo Dallier, really didn't have enough troops to do anything about what was taking place. So the UN told him to just sit off to the side. Hundreds of millions of dollars spent. And he's told to sit off to the side, stay out of the conflict, do nothing. Seaver says that Dallier was terrorized by the uh, events that he witnessed in Rwanda and that he was found six years later on a park bench in Canada, blind, drunk, screaming for someone to kill him. Seavers himself remained until his death in 2004 extremely uh, affected by what he saw in Rwanda. One particular event happened in a, a refugee camp known as Camp Cholera. It was essentially a, a barren wasteland where thousands upon thousands of Rwandans went to die. One particular event burned itself in Seaver's mind. I felt something on my foot. I looked down and saw a small boy. He looked to be about five which meant he was probably 10. Malnutrition will do that. He was lying on his back and had thrown his arm up over his head. His fingers had got tangled in my bootlaces. As I looked in his eyes, I saw the light go out. He died. And all I could do was shake my foot to, to free my laces from his fingers so I could run and catch up with my team. Every night when I lie down in bed in my nice suburban home, I close my eyes to go to sleep. That little boy comes to me. And tugs on my bootlaces. Every night he asks me why we let this happen. And I have no answer. And every night I pray that that will be the last time he comes to me. And then Seaver says, But I know better. Our world is evil. Make no mistake about it. Our, our world is evil. We can deny the war. We can ignore the carnage. We can hope it goes away, but we know better, don't we? You and I have the only answer to meet the battle at hand, the truth of God. 
We are the only ones who have been equipped to take on the lies that darken our world and bring the light of his truth into the lives of others. Worship team is going to come forward. And as they do, I want you and me to spend a moment in prayer. Father, as we look into our own hearts, I pray we would realize the importance of your word, your truth. In our lives, that we might battle the war at hand, the war of uh, light and darkness, the war of truth and falsehood. And I pray that we would desire to bring the message of freedom into enslaved lives. And Father, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.